Good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll get an update from Clean Farms. Also, Bill Gruel with Protein Industries Canada will stop by. And up first in today's country comment, we'll get a weed update from Kim Brown Livingston. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Joining us on the program today is the province's weed specialist, Kim Brown Livingston. It's still early days yet, and, um, you know, the rain was a godsend on, on a number of fronts there. Um, but it has started the weed growing. The crops are starting to really take off. So we're kind of at the tail end of the burn-off season. Um, we still have some land to be seeded still, and some of the later seeded stuff isn't quite up yet, but with these warm temperatures and the recent rains, the crops are coming up very quickly. So we didn't have, you know, a lot of time or a lot of weeds up there. So we didn't have much of a burn-off season. So we're kind of at the tail end of that where guys that can do it are still finishing that up. Uh, but otherwise, you know, we're just kind of waiting for in-crop spraying now. And, and we'll be there pretty quick, I think, like with the weather and, and, you know, the recent rains. And what are the weeds that we're starting to see? Um, pretty much, you know, the usuals, we're starting to see some of the things that come up really early are, are, uh, uh, lamb's quarters and our kochia and that type of thing, starting to see the warm season weeds poking their heads up. So we're starting to see the red root pigweed and the foxtails are starting to come now. They're pretty little still. Uh, so it's pretty hard to tell what some of the weeds are in some of those cases, but, you know, give them a few days. And once they start poking out another leaf or two on the grasses, you can figure out what they are. And the broadleaf weeds, once they get a couple of uh, or even one or two true leaves on them, we pretty much know what they are. But we're pretty good at identifying from cotyledons too. So, um, But, you know, most guys know pretty much know what they've got in their fields anyways when they're picking their chemistry. And so it's just to make sure you're scouting, to make sure that there's nothing there to surprise you and, uh, and that, you know, what you expected is still coming up because the weeds are always going to grow. Wanted to touch on the crop pest update. Um, there was a weed highlighted in there. Um, did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I just did that just to show. I get lots of pictures this time of year, and it's great. I love them. Everybody can send me pictures. Uh, I try. I do my best to ID them from a picture. Um, so we've been getting. Uh, we get a lot of those uh, pictures this time of year, and and that's just field horsetail. It's kind of everywhere, um, usually in really wet areas. Field horsetail and or scouring rush, they're kind of interchangeable. They're different They're different plants, but they're very similar, and we treat them about the same. And they do cause a bit of trouble. Um, they they like it where it's quite wet or, or the root system can get into some water. So they, are, they can be quite problematic, and it's something that not a lot of people recognize. So I do tend to get lots of pictures of that this time of year. So I put that in the crop report just as a reminder that that's what it is and, you know, a couple of different ways to control it type thing. It's uh, not the easiest thing to control. It's just something we kind of have to live with in some of the crops. But luckily it's not on all the acres. It just tends to be where things are quite wet, like field edges, and it'll creep into the field from the edge, that type thing from, you know, from the ditch. Any other sort of strange weeds that you've been uh, receiving, you know, from, from people here or anything new that you've been seeing out there or well, uh, luckily, I haven't had any uh, water hemp pictures yet, which is great. <laughs> we are watching for that. It 
seems to be just the usuals. I mean, there's a lot of weeds out there. There's a few grass species that we have to be watching out for. They're a little harder to identify, but they do, uh, you know, they, there is ways to identify them. And the broadleaf weeds, there's just a lot more of them. So, guys, you know, you kind of forget from year to year what they look like when they're little. So we're getting pictures. I'm, I'm getting pictures of uh, a little bit of kochia, some false ragweed, um, by some biennial wormwood, just all kinds of things. And then, like I said, the usuals, like the, the lots of lambs quarters is up and, uh, and things like that. And, and just kind of just, you know, the, the usual 20 or so weeds that we see in most fields every year type thing. We're seeing those and, and, uh, it's just good to get a refresher. Noticed around town anyways, you know, lot, lots of dandelions. Is that an issue as well or? Yeah. Uh, yeah, dandelions are everywhere. Those ones that are flowering now, they're not going to be much of a pest in crop. What we find is that, uh, you know, it's too late. Once once they're flowering, you can't do anything about them. Uh, really, it's hard to get them. If you do have dandelions in crop, and we do see that where we've got reduced tillage or min, you know, zero till or min till situations, we do see that, um, that they can become a problem. And that's something that you really need to have, like a pre-harvest spray program or better yet, a fall spray program. An early fall spray is really what you need to get to your dandelions. Once they start coming up in the spring and we get those great big granddaddy plants and they're flowering and um, those we can't control. Um, and it's too late. They've already set seed. But the fluff that flies around, that's going to actually germinate. And those are going to be in crop, but they're really... They're right on the ground. You tend not to notice them because they're not going to be flowering. But that's what becomes next year's problem. So those are the ones we want to go after with a pre-harvest spray or better yet, a fall spray. Um, tougher to get dandelions with a pre-harvest spray. They're just low on the ground. It's hard to get the spray down there, hard to get the coverage. Um, but definitely you need to go after those at a different time of year than now because it's just this is not the time to try to kill them. That was Kim Brown Livingston, weed specialist with Manitoba Agriculture. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Knute. Last week, Protein Industries Canada announced its 20th project. The group will partner with Merit Functional Foods, TWC Nutrition, Daya Foods, and Grand River Foods to use Merit's pea canola and blended pea canola protein ingredients in new plant-based products. Bill Gruel is CEO of Protein Industries Canada. So Merit's got some really interesting technology, but they're, what's really good about them is that they're using Western Canadian produced ingredients, canola and, and peas. And so, you know, canola, generally the protein for that is being used in the dairy sector. And so this is one of the few uh, processing facilities that's using this, this resource for consumer packaged goods for health, for human food consumption, which is really great because at the end of the day, canola is actually Canada's largest protein crop. So if we can find new uses for that in terms of human food, that's a really good day for the Western Canadian economy. Protein Industries Canada is providing half of the investment into the $7.9 million project. And farmers are starting to see more weeds in the fields. Kim Brown Livingston is with Manitoba Agriculture. Still early days yet. You know, the rain was a godsend on, on a number of fronts there. Um, but it has started the weed growing. The crops are starting to really take off. So we're kind of at the tail end of the burn-off season. Um, we still have some land to be seeded still, and some of the later seeded stuff isn't quite up yet. But with these warm temperatures and the recent rains, the crops are coming up very quickly. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire from Monday, May 31st. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll hear from the CEO with Protein Industries Canada. 
Protein Industries Canada announced its 20th project last week. Bill Gruel is CEO. So this is an $8 million announcement we uh, started yesterday with a company based out of Winnipeg called Merit Functional Foods. Uh, the project is looking at three different areas of further processing to enhance the functionality of the protein isolates that they're producing in their facility in Winnipeg. And, and those protein isolates and, and the enhanced functionality will be used by three different consumer packaged goods companies for the development of new product lines. It's really exciting to have those consumer packaged goods companies. One of them is Daya Foods, company based out of Vancouver, B.C. You might see them in the grocery store. They do plant-based cheeses and dairy alternatives. Another is the Winning Combination. They're a company based out of Manitoba that does uh, new nutrition and high-end quality foods. And finally, Grand River Foods, which is another uh, company based out of uh, British Columbia, looking at different products that they'll be producing from those protein concentrate and isolates. Talk about the the ingredients that will be used here. Yeah, so Merit's got some really interesting technology, but they're, what's really good about them is that they're using Western Canadian-produced ingredients, canola and, and peas. And so, you know, canola, generally the protein for that is being used in the dairy sector, and so this is one of the few uh, processing facilities that's using this this resource for consumer packaged goods for health uh for human food consumption, which is really great because at the end of the day, canola is actually Canada's largest protein crop. So if we can find new uses for that in terms of human food, that's a really good day for the Western Canadian economy. This is the the 20th project. Your thoughts on on reaching that milestone? Yeah, it's been pretty exciting for us. We've got a project bank now, uh, an investment portfolio of $375 million dollars. And so, you know, it's just uh, just a testament to the industry members, the optimism that exists around the development of Canada's plant-based food, feed, and ingredient sector. And, uh, you know, it's been really great. i got to tip my hat to the staff at Protein Industries Canada. They do, they do phenomenal work and, and to our partners for helping us get to that 20th project. That was Bill Gruel, CEO with Protein Industries Canada. It could become tougher over the next few decades to grow the common bean on the Canadian prairies. To discuss why and what can be done, Golden West Daniel McElroy spoke with Dr. Kirsten Bett from the University of Saskatchewan. One of the issues with common bean is it's, uh, well, there's two things. One, it's, it's a subtropical legume, so growing it in Saskatchewan or anywhere this far north is uh, tricky because, uh, first of all, it doesn't like our long days and hates, hates, hates cold temperatures, absolutely hates cold temperatures. And so many years ago, we were um, interested in, in working with temporary bean because they don't mind cold temperatures, we discovered. But more interestingly, um, temporary beans are also incredibly heat um, tolerant as well and drought tolerant. In fact, they don't... Um, they don't really like being grown under irrigated conditions. So unlike common bean, where we would tend to try to keep them under irrigation, especially in a year like this, irrigation is important. Um, temporary beans offer uh, an option uh, for if you're in dryland agriculture and, and water is going to become a problem. And so for this area, I, I don't suppose with what you've just said that there is much common bean grown, but potentially with some of the research you're doing into learning how to mix traits between temporary beans and common beans, that that could become possible. 
Right. So one of the things we were in, we've been interested in for many years now has been well, what if you can cross uh, tepary beans with common beans, which is it's not trivial. It's not super easy because they are completely different species, but it is possible, and we've done it. Um, what if you could do that and then check the offspring and see if any of them had managed to uh, capture some of the stress tolerance that's available from the tepary bean genome, um, but put it in something that's more familiar to us as a, as a common bean. The struggle with that is it's not, uh, you know, it's not a single gene. It's not like disease resistance where you can generally grab one gene out of a, out of a wild relative and, and insert it and, and you're good to go. It's, you know, it's a whole series of different ways of, it turns out anyway, and the work that we've done with Michigan shows that it, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Mixing between two completely different species, what kind of, is that gene editing software or, or, or more conventional breeding techniques, cross-pollination, yeah, no, things like that? It, it's completely normal. Um, well, completely normal. It's, you start with a cross like you would normally, um, but you do have to go in and rescue the the embryos um, for the first couple of generations because it's just it, it's a wide what we call a wide cross they're sort of incompatible but with a bit of magic in the lab and it's not GMO don't go there um, it you can manage to encourage the wee embryos to survive and then you get a plant and you can cross back and eventually you can recover enough of the common bean genome that that they're perfectly normal um, in terms of fully fertile and you will get seed off of them again. The trouble is that in getting to that point you've had to dilute the amount of temporary genome that's in in the offspring and so when you're talking about a multigenic trait that gets a little bit tricky to try and get it all into one package. So potentially this could be an, an extremely long process, and in mm, the end, yeah. it's, it's hard to say whether you'll end up with enough of that um, uh, temporary gene to make a difference? Yeah, exactly. We've been looking at the offspring for the past few years, uh, and yeah, you do get a little bit uh, of an increase in tolerance to some stresses, but I've been operating off not a whole ton of money on this, and so it's been you know, sort of a side project for years. One thing that I am interested in is, well, seeing as how it is so complicated, maybe it makes more sense to fix peppery bean, as it were, and make it a crop instead of trying to force common bean to accept stress. Why don't we try and turn peppery bean, which is already stress tolerant, into something more recognizable um, and, and a commercial Entity and and they are actually a domesticated crop. People have been eating them for millennia in North America as a crop. It just didn't take off the same way the common beans did, um, for whatever reason. That was Dr. Kirsten Bett from the University of Saskatchewan chatting with Golden West reporter Daniel McAvoy. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email. The Farm Desk at GoldenWest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Egg Wire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. 
The Stanley Egg Society is hosting an online annual general meeting this Wednesday starting at 7 p.m. Email jndick at gmail.com. Canada's Farm Show is going virtual this year, June 16th and 17th. Go to canadasfarmshow.com and Egg in Motion invites you to an online session titled Getting On With Growing Vigilance in Crop Care, June 23rd, starting at 9 a.m. Go to the Egg in Motion website. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Monday afternoon, Clean Farms will be administering a permanent egg plastics recycling program in Manitoba. I got the details from Stakeholder Relations Manager Kim Timmer. This announcement is something we're really, really pleased about, um, and it really means um, two things for our sector. Um, It means that farmers now have access to a reliable program um, that they can count on year over year to recycle grain bags and twine. Um, and then here at Clean Farms, it really gives us the, the green light to make long-term preparations for this program. Um, so we'll be busy over the next few months as we transition pilot collection sites into permanent partners. We work with industries and stewards um, who now have responsibilities for this program. Um, and we, we put in place an environmental handling fee to finance the program. Um, really, this, this helps ensure that, that Manitoba can reduce plastic waste that's going to landfill um, and contribute to a more circular economy. Tell us a little bit about um, how the program will work. So uh, the program um, focuses on um, one-time use, single-use plastic uh, grain bags um, that are used for the the storage of grain, as well as baler twine. Um, The way the program operates um, is we anticipate that we'll have about 35 collection sites um, across the province. Uh, We ask farmers to properly prepare their materials on farm. Um, So that means rolling grain bags and tying them with twine, uh, and for the twine, it's about shaking them to, to keep them as clean as, as possible. And then it's brought back to a collection site um, who takes on the role of storing that material. Um, and then Clean Farms will arrange for the transportation of these plastics uh, to end markets where they're used to, to manufacture new products like uh, plastic bags or maybe they're used uh, in, in plastic pots or even roofing materials. So really, we're, we're taking these products from the farm and we're reusing them in another place in the economy. And this is uh, free of charge, right? So the program is actually funded through an environmental handling fee. And this approach is used for a number of recycling programs, whether it's electronics, whether it's tires um, or oil. Um, So there will be a cost um, at the point of purchase. Um, The environmental handling fee is estimated at $0.25 per kilogram for grain bags and $0.33 for twine. Up until now, was it just sort of a a pilot project that was going on here in Manitoba? Mm -hmm. so the program has actually been in place um, as the pilot phase since about 2013. Um, so Manitoba Conservation and Climate and its prede- predecessors have really um, put quite an investment um, into these pilots. Um, these pilots helped us establish a collection network um, and then figure out ways to, to find end markets for these materials. Um, but now that it's a permanent program, um, it's really uh, the responsibility is, is transition to industry. Um, so we're taking it away from government sources and we're making sure it's available year over year. Um, I also want to mention that this builds on uh, a program that's been in place in Saskatchewan since 2018, um, where a uh, industry-funded grain bag recycling program has been in place since then. Um, and we've seen our collection volumes increase significantly over time, which sort of reemphasizes that, that it's a good program that farmers are going to use. That was Kim Timmer with Clean Farms. Another look at what's happening in the market, setting into the close, is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. The recent moisture has benefited both crops and weeds. The province's weed specialist, Kim Brown Livingston, talked about what's out there. 
lamb's quarters and our kochia and that type of thing, starting to see the warm season weeds poking their heads up. So we're starting to see the red root pigweed and the foxtails are starting to come now. They're pretty little still, so it's pretty hard to tell what some of the weeds are in some of those cases. But, you know, give them a few days and once they start poking out another leaf or two on the grasses, you can figure out what they are. And the broadleaf weeds, once they get a couple of uh, or even one or two true leaves on them, we pretty much know what they are. But we're pretty good at identifying from cotyledons too. And last week, Protein Industries Canada announced a co-investment into a project that will use Canadian crops in the development of new plant-based foods and ingredients. CEO Bill Gruel talked about the work they'll be doing with Merit Functional Foods. The project is looking at three different areas of further processing to enhance the functionality of the protein isolates that they're producing in their facility in Winnipeg. And those protein isolates and and the enhanced functionality will be used by three different consumer packaged goods companies for the development of new product lines. It's really exciting to have those consumer packaged goods companies. Those companies include TWC Nutrition, Daya Foods and Grand River Foods. Protein Industries Canada is providing half of the investment into the $7.9 million project. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.